You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Nam, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JcastNetwork.org. The text that we're learning today is uh, from a um, Hasidic collection called Nativot Shalom, which is uh, the, the Pathways of Peace. Um, it was from, you know, the, um, the, when we put the Torah back in the Ark, the Chol Nativoteha Shalom, right? All of uh, the Torah's pathways of peace. So the title comes from. Also, what I love about Hasidic works is that usually the titles are um, plays on the author's name and uh, a verse from the Torah, right? So uh, the author's name here is Reb Shalom Shalom Noach Berzovsky, um, who was the uh, uh, previous Slonimer Rebbe. Um, he uh, left this world in August of 2000. Uh, he lived uh, most of his life in Jerusalem, um, although uh, was uh, born in uh, in Slonim, in uh, um, Poland. In Poland. Um, and so the 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 Slonimer uh, um, uh, Hasidim is not a huge uh, uh, sect of, uh, of of Hasidim, but um, but nevertheless, um, it is. Um, if you are looking for a beautiful way to uh, to become acclimated to um, uh, Hasidic uh, sermons and interpretations and um, and, and homilies, uh, Nativot Shalom is uh, is excellent. So one of the reasons I bring this to your attention is because I want to recommend this book to anybody who feels comfortable. Because most Hasidic works, most of the classic Hasidic works were written in one of the following ways. Um, usually they were written by students... Can I borrow one of these napkins? Thank you. Um, usually they were written by uh, students of uh, the Rebbe, who after Shabbat or the holiday was over, would transcribe the Rebbe's sermons from the previous week. Usually those sermons were given in Yiddish, and so the authors, the students of the Rebbe's that would transcribe the works, would transcribe them into Yiddish and then uh, translate them into Hebrew for publication. Right? So what you're reading is already kind of two degrees separated from, uh, from the Rebbe's actual words. So, um, there's one, one uh, the Chernobler Rebbe, the Maori Nain, uh, used to, he used to get all the transcripts from his uh, students after they would copy them down, and he wouldn't let them publish anything that he remembered saying. Because he figured if he remembered saying it, it wasn't actually Ruach HaKodesh, it wasn't actually the Holy Spirit, uh, and so that means it wasn't like real, true Torah. And so you, but anyway, that's, uh, that's I think, uh, unique. But that's how it was usually done. The Slonim Rebbe, because he was um, teaching most of his life in Jerusalem, um, he uh, spoke Hebrew, um, and he gave his sermons uh, uh, usually in Hebrew, and the students who were transcribing his sermons, uh, and then uh, and then and then making sure that they, you know, um, were grammatically correct, etc., spoke Hebrew. Um, so what you end up with is a, a text that actually has a very uh, clearly written, um, understandable modern Hebrew, um, and that's true of all of his work. So he has. 
a number of different works. The two that I have on my shelf is a five-volume set on uh, on the Torah. It's right? so going through each parsha and uh, and and uh, discussing that, uh, and then a two-volume set on uh, holidays and miscellaneous topics. Right, so faith and prayer and, and that sort of thing. Um, and so this is from that two-volume set. What we're going to be looking at today. Um, but if you're but if you're looking for a, a, a good uh, text to kind of you know uh, break yourself into the world, it's not translated in English yet, as far as I know. Uh, but the Hebrew is uh, pretty understandable, I think. Um, Hebrew. <laughs> as long as you understand Hebrew, uh, and and you know and and you'll see this a lot in uh, in in Hasidic works that there's a lot of acronyms for things. So that gets kind of confusing. You'll see it, it, it in the, just the first paragraph here, there are several of them. We'll point them out to you. But, um, so anyway, so that's, uh, so that's this text, Nativo Chalom. Um, so it's something that I, that I, um, uh, really recommend. And I've been studying, uh, the, the set on, on Torah with, uh, my Chavruta from rabbinical school, uh, over Skype over the past, uh, several months, which has been nice. Um, the second reason I wanted to look at uh, this today is because there's a custom uh, 30 days before Pesach to start uh, dealing with uh, issues relating to Pesach. Um, usually that refers specifically to the laws of eating, uh, or not eating rather, chametz uh, on, on Pesach, because there's so many laws and so much to learn, and it's hard to remember from year to year often. Um, but uh, so that didn't, because Rabbi Alpert's doing that, and it doesn't, didn't feel quite right for this forum, um, but this, uh, but, uh, this essay, I think, is, uh, is something to get into the Pesach spirit. That's like, you can't do, no, GPS, getting into the Pesach spirit, there you go. Alright. It's not post-GPS anymore, we're still in GPS, okay, get into the Pesach spirit. Okay. So the, um, so the essay is, uh, titled, Shivat Yamim Lo Tochlu Chametz. Okay, for seven days you must not eat chametz. That's the commandment from the Torah on Passover. Seven days you must not eat chametz. Ita bezohar kodesh. There's the first acronym. Bet zayin vav he kuf. Bezohar hakodesh. Okay. Um, sometimes acronyms uh, use the first two letters of a of a word, so just really get very confusing. But anyway, bezohar kodesh. Zohar kodesh is the holy zohar, the uh, uh, classic. Uh, work of Jewish mysticism, right? So you can you see in the Zohar, when it discusses the issue of the prohibition of eating chametz on Passover, okay, because uh, that uh, it, the Zohar explains that prohibition as uh, as chametz, leaven, and seor barley, uh, grain. Uh, they they teach about or they're they're, um, they're metaphors for the sitra achra, which is the, the 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 other side, right? The evil the evil impulse, as it were, and the vietzara and the and the uh, evil inclination. Sitra achra and vietzara in kabbalistic works um, are often used interchangeably. Um, sometimes sitra achra is m- more personified, like uh, like how Christians would talk about Satan. Right. Um, Darth Vader. Darth Vader. Darth Vader. Yitzhah is the dark side of the force. Sitra Achra is the personified dark side of the force. Very good. Okay. Yeah, I was just uh, reading in the New York Times. Related to Batman somehow? you? <laughs> <laughs> Sitra. I have to think about that. All right. 
I was going to say Sitra Acher would be like, um, well, I don't know. Okay. Ukilshon Chazal, and in the language of our rabbis, the language of the rabbis of the Talmud, Seor Shebeisa Me'akev. Right, the, in the language of the rabbis, the Talmud, the uh, the, the the grain, the the um, the barley that's in that's in dough um, uh, holds it back. Ubesiman Reish Kuf Mevaer Baze Inyan Lo Yiraev Lo Yimatze Dehu Meshum Ubiarta Haramir Kerbecha. Okay, and so elsewhere in the uh, Zohar, it explains. That uh, the prohibitions there's several prohibitions on chametz on Passover, right? So what are they? You can't eat chametz on Passover, obviously, right? What else can't you do? Can't own it. Can't okay. You can't you can't own it, right? Which is uh, which here is bal You can't you can't it can't be in your in your in your in your possession, right? It shouldn't be found in your possession. That's what yimatzeh can't be found, right? So okay, so you shouldn't you you can't eat it. You can't find it. And the third thing, you, well, okay, so that, that's actually I think included in Bal Yimatzeh. Um, <clears throat> what? Well, that's that's what Steve said. Bal Yiraeh, you can't see it. You're not even allowed to look at uh, chametz on Passover. What if you had a job you, that involves, yeah, you, you know, you, food service and had well, to food, get a job? Food. But I mean, if you're <laughs> passing by a restaurant and you look in the window and somebody is who is not Jewish yeah. and therefore has no prohibition. Right. So, the, all right, so there, there are a couple of different questions here, right? So if you, the question of whether you have a job in the food service on Passover, can you, can you <laughs> go to work on Passover? It's actually an interesting question. On home, wait, um, Well, right, right. Um, well, but, if you, I mean, in the real world, you go over here to the Acme, Mm-hmm. Which certainly right. has its kosher section, but has a lot of other stuff, including a lot of hummets. Right, right. So, so there, there's some instances where it will be unavoidable, right? Um, so, it, I don't think it's talking about in cases where it's unavoidable. Um, but that's hmm. why, for example, if you have comets still in your house, right, the, the way you sold or whatever, you lock, you, you lock it up or you cover it up, right? I remember, you know, we used, uh, in my in my mom's house, we used all sorts of, like, uh, you know, we used the old paper bags and we, like, taped it up on the thing, right? So that's that's part of it. Now, the, the actual, the, there's there's another uh, prohibition for comets on Passover, actually, which is Isor uh, Hana'ah. You can't derive benefit from comets on Passover, right? So... It's interesting, like, if you owned, I don't know, if you owned a bakery, non-kosher bakery, you shouldn't own a non-kosher bakery, but let's say you owned a non-kosher bakery, right? could, you, could you continue to own that bakery? Or let's say you just work at the bakery. Could you continue to work at that bakery on Passover when you'd be deriving benefit from chametz? I don't want to necessarily answer that question, but but these are but these are in, in, but in any event, right? The the but what's what he's going to point out here. Um, which I think is true, and you're all picking up on, is that the the prohibitions on chametz are, uh, forgive me if I don't get this Latin phrase right, sui, sui generis. Sui generis. Generis. Sui generis. I've only seen it written and never seen sui it spoken. Generis. Sui generis. Okay. Right? They're, they're, they're novel. There's no other instance in the in, in the Torah and Jewish law where, where, an, uh, where something has all of these prohibitions surrounding it, all these strict prohibitions surrounding it. And so, according to the Zohar, he says the um, the, the prohibitions against seeing and finding chametz <clears throat> relate to this uh, commandment 
from the Torah, Ubiarta Haram Mirkirbecha. You should <clears throat> excuse me, you should destroy the evil in your midst. Right? And so the Zohar is interpreting that um, as uh, in two ways. One, you should get rid of all the chametz in in you know in Jewish community, but I think it's also looking at that internally. You should destroy all the evil in your midst, inside of you. Okay, but if it's so bad to eat chametz, right? If if chametz is 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 comparable to the Yetzirahara and Darth Vader and uh, and uh, and the evil that's in your midst, then why are we only forbidden from eating chametz on Pesach? We should be forbidden from eating chametz all the time. Don't want to give the rabbis any ideas here, but we should be forbidden from eating chametz all the time. Oh, just as a spoiler alert, he's not going to advocate for for eating for not eating chametz all the time. Um, but it's a good question, I think. Right? If it's so bad, why aren't we forbidden from eating chametz all the time? Well, I mean, Which, well, he's made the jump. That's that exactly it's so right. Bad. That, that it's, it's so bad. bad. Mm. His premise is is difficult to accept to begin with. Is that right? Uh, you know, uh, certainly the literal story has nothing to do with it being bad. It has to do with a time issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. but, but if chametz is the symbol of the of the ubiquitous evil that surrounds us, that's what chametz means. That's the jump he's made. Right. <clears throat> oh, okay, that's correct. Yes, right. right. I mean, I understand. Wait, wait. That's he's beginning with that premise. I think what's what's interesting, you know, what's interesting about that story is the commandment about chametz and matzah on Passover comes before that story takes place in the Torah. Right, so he's obviously not looking at it from a from a biblical critical point of view, um, but but the, there there is what to say for the fact that okay, you know, this commandment comes and now we got to explain that commandment. So here's a good story that we'll have to explain that commandment. So it's possible that that's not actually the reason for chametz. Uh, there are scholars who say. Uh, the reason for the reason for chametz is um, that you have these uh, springtime and summertime uh, festival, right? Passover, and what's connected to Passover is Shavuot, which um, and so that's what counting the Omer is: is you um, you you bring a um, um, the grain excuse me, you bring a, 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 a bar, you bring your first barley offering on Passover, uh, and then you bring your first wheat offering on uh, Shavuot. Um, and then, uh, so it seems like Pesach may have at one point um, not been about an exodus from Egypt at all. It may have been about actually clearing out your storehouses of old grain, right? So you want to get rid of all the old barley so that you can bring it, uh, what, what's called for Shavuot is a mincha chadasha, right? A, a new mincha to God, right? So that you make sure that you're not bringing any of the old stuff, right? Um, so, but you're right. I mean, it, you know... It, if you right, the the time issue right is uh, is certainly certainly cuts um, undercuts this premise right that uh, that that is so bad. When he's but he's not pulling this out of thin air though right. He's uh, the the rabbis already in the Talmud talk about um, uh, chametz in in these terms. Right? Uh, often you'll hear uh, people talk about chametz or what is what is uh, leavening do to bread? It puffs it up. It inflates it. Right, um, and so it's you know it, it relates it relates to uh, um, you know the, the, that which 
you know, inflates a person, right? You know, the ego and, um, you know, what we were talking, what we've been talking about the previous couple of weeks, right? The, you know, um, the self of sense of self aggrandizement, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you're right. right? So, okay. If you, if you, if you don't buy the premise, then the question is not a good question, right? Uh, why is Hamid so bad? Um, but actually, I mean, I, let me just, is it, right? even if you bought the premise that it's a time issue, right? And we we eat matzah on Passover. That's actually good. Okay, now now I'm talking this out. Okay, we um, we eat matzah on Passover according to that story to commemorate that issue, right? But that doesn't actually tell us why we're supposed to get rid of all our chametz. That just tells us why we're supposed to eat matzah. We could eat matzah at the seder and not get rid of any of our chametz. Right, and, and and even if it did tell us that you can't have you can't eat chametz, why does that mean that I can't see chametz or uh, or 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 own chametz? Right, so the 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 laws that come out of that story are way more strict than the story suggests it need to be. Well, that's uh, that's easily answerable. Rabbis like making life difficult. They have so much time on their hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad once said this to me. He said um, that um, uh, that that is part of part of rabbis' jobs to make people's lives more difficult or something like that. Okay. Um, Great support for your yeah. Right, thanks a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. So I so I I'm not sure if I I'm not sure if I agree with that. I don't. I, I think that uh, that that on the whole, the rabbis actually don't like forbidding things that oughtn't be forbidden. Um, and it's why it's why you know. Um, uh, for a while, it's the tide is turning now. But for a while, in the Orthodox world, um, there was there has been a big um, hesitancy to forbid smoking, because the sense is, you know, the Torah doesn't forbid smoking. We should keep it permitted. We shouldn't forbid things that aren't forbidden. Um, the tide is sort of turning on that now, thankfully. Um, but uh, but nevertheless. Um, uh, you have so I, I actually don't see that. I think that the, the rabbis don't like forbidding things that shouldn't be forbidden. Well, yeah, I don't know. That, that's great. I mean, while I'm not for smoking and I'm not a smoker, <laughs> but you know, the question becomes: How much of your life should be controlled and re- regulated? I mean, we have that issue in this country, but that's a different. We won't go there. But, <laughs> but should the should the rabbis sue sui generis actually? be deciding you shouldn't smoke because it, I assume the reasoning is because it's bad for you. Yeah. Um, because it, because it, direct, it directly leads to death. Right? Or not directly. But that's not necessarily true. Yeah. In most people. It certainly leads to health issues health health and health not directly right. to death. Yeah, and, and I'm not questioning <coughs> that part of the premise, obviously. But should they be, you know, regulating that? Right. Okay. So that's a question for a different time, but right. Man, it is a good question, right? So, and um, so I. Wait. This was written. He wrote this. He's in in modern times. You say he died in two thousand. So it's a modern times. Yeah. And it it was his conception that chometz is forbidden. Is the evil? Is, Is that what he's saying? Well, so that's in, in, in these modern times when he should easily have recognized that some of these things just when you walk down the street you can walk Did by. They, are you are you grasping at something because he hasn't made his case yet? Well, that's what I'm not. You said an interesting thing. Yeah. You said that the eating of matzah 
is the, really the tradition that keeps the Passover spirit. The not eating of chometz has nothing to do with the tradition of eating matzah. Oh, two separate things. That, well, that's not that's not exactly what I said. What I said was <laughs> if we if we take the issue of chametz or the issue of matzah from the story um, of the people not having enough time, right? People not having enough time for the bread to bake. Then all we would need to do, I would think, would be eating matzah. So I'm not saying I, I actually would not say that the essence of Passover is just eating matzah. I think that the essence of Passover is both those things: eating matzah and not eating chametz and not having all the chametz around. And you, you have to realize he's living in modern times, but in uh, in a very ultra orthodox section of Jerusalem. He could have he could have walked he could have walked up and down the streets on Passover and not seen any uh, any chametz at all. I, I'm almost positive of it. Right, so um, so I think for him that was a a, a totally realistic uh, uh, point of view, and I think that that generally speaking, for for many of us, the bal um, uh, actually uh, we we can for the most part do. Maybe you go to the grocery store if you you stick to the kosher aisles to the best of your ability, um, and you get out of the store. Right, you walk down the street, don't linger in front of the bakery window. Right, I mean, you know what I mean. So there, most of us don't really walk down the street a lot these days. Anyway, we just drive to where we're going. So I think it's. Uh, so anyway, so but that's but anyway that but that is the premise, right? That's the premise he's working with. And so the question he has makes a lot of sense from that premise. And even if you don't like the premise that chametz is in itself evil, right? The idea that you have to totally get rid of it and have all these prohibitions around it—it's unique to this issue, right? So why is it unique to this issue? The idea is to avoid temptation. Yeah. So, right. mm. yeah. so okay, so um, avoid temptation. Doesn't sound very Jewish to me. <laughs> Avoid temptation. Um, so I had to think about that for a minute because there are a number of prohibitions that we have in the Torah that are serious prohibitions that we don't that we aren't similarly prohibited from um, from like seeing or owning right those things right. So for example right um, um, I. Uh, um, I, I, we use the the issue of smoking, right? So, I I don't think that according to Jewish law I can smoke. But can I own a pack of cigarettes? Why not? Can, can I sell? A, a, you a, sto- yeah, can you own a can store? Yeah. Can I own a store that sells cigarettes? I don't know. Maybe. That actually, I'm, I'm not sure about. Right. Um, we but, talk about tobacco, but we just with Purim we just talked about alcohol consumption, mm-hmm. which always comes up at that time of the year. Mm-hmm. Certainly not prohibited. It's uh, encouraged. It's encouraged, right? And, and look around. Us. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, are there some books here? Bart said, <laughs> so you don't drive on Shabbos, right? Yeah. That means you shouldn't own a car. <laughs> okay, very good. Right. Um, so, or, or at least, should I not own a car on Shabbos? Right. Um, should every Shabbos should I sell my car? Sell your car. Right. Um, right. So these are these, Rabbi Albert. These are all these are all good good examples. So that that in some ways the 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 prohibitions on chametz are unique. Right. So let's just can we have like two more minutes just to finish? Sure. He's going to lay out his questions in this paragraph. Okay. All these questions. Are gonna... really to intensify the concept of remembering the story and passing it on like the Haggadah tells you to do. 
Is that no, really what is about? Premise here, Dennis. I mean, to intensify the feeling of Passover, which easily could be diminished because of all the Gentile influences around us. He said, okay, and, and feel it. Feel it. This is a part of feeling it so then you're able to remember it, pass it on to your children, as it, as it says. I certainly think there's something to that. Right, I, I definitely think that uh, that that part of the staying power of Passover um, is the you know full physical involvement mm. that a person has to have in preparing for the holiday. Um, so I think that yeah, I definitely think there's something uh, to that. Uh, you know, the 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 one of the challenges of that is that um, you know Passover is probably one of the most at least a seder. It's probably one of the most widely observed Jewish practices. Um, but I'm not convinced that the prohibition on chametz is one of the most widely observed Jewish practices. So most people probably have a Seder probably with matzah, right? But they might also, you know, have, uh, have you know, what? Have bread. Right, have, have um, bread. At the, they, not, they may not have, like, directly a bread at the Seder. About, but, I'm not talking about people here necessarily. No. But where, it's just, where it becomes yeah. just a family gathering right. at that right. time of year, yeah. they know to eat matzah. That, that was, that's kind of where right. I was going. But, but, but in any event, right, but you're right. I mean, the Seder is very, is very uh, you know, heavily uh, ritualized. And so, so, there, so the, the way to, to pass on the, the story and the memory throughout generations, the values of the holiday throughout generations, is that we concretize it in, in those rituals. So one of them, for observant Jews, is cleaning out your house. It's a big one, I think. Um, but for less observant Jews, the Seder has become uh, has become the primary ritual. Um, so you're, I think that there's definitely something to that. Okay, you guys have two more minutes? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> a, rabbi, a, a rabbi two minutes? <laughs> all right. Um, okay. So, all right. Madua, right. <laughs> um, so okay, so okay, again, right? Why is why do we just have this uh, issue of of totally cleaning out? You can't see it, you can't find it um, uh, of chametz. Why just on Passover? You should have it. If it's so bad, you should have it other times. Or, you know, um, right? That's the premise. Um, uh, uh, sorry, um, I lost my place. Okay, and connected to the prohibition on not eating chametz and not seeing chametz, not finding chametz, is you have to search for chametz. Right? You can't you can't be content to just like cover up all your chametz or or throw out all the all the big boxes of chametz or whatever that are in your house. You have to go into every nook and cranny in a room where you would have brought chametz uh, or where a mouse might have taken chametz, right? And uh, and uh, and and search in every corner for for breadcrumbs. Right? That's what uh, that's what uh, the rabbis added to this issue of not uh, of the prohibition of chametz of Pesach. Shechametz oser b'mashu. Right? You can't eat. You can't have any chametz. Usually, for a non-kosher item, it's uh, it's asur b'shishi. Right. So if if the if a non if you're making a stew, right, a kosher stew, and a, and a piece of pork falls in the stew, right, um, then the uh, then uh, if the if the volume of the stew is sixty times the volume of the pork that fell in, the stew could still be kosher, right. But for chametz, 
No, there's also a lot. You can't, you can't intentionally drop a, 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 a thing of, can I, uh, of pork can into I your stew. Can I pay a non-Jew to walk past? <laughs> Sorry. Um, right? But on, on Passover, if a, if a tiny breadcrumb dropped into my vat of chicken soup, right, the whole thing would be not kosher for Passover. Right? It's unusual, the kind of Esor this is, the kind of prohibitions this is. Masha'en ken b'shari surim. It's not the case for other prohibitions. The habedika b'churim u'besadkin. And you have to search with a feather and a spoon and a candle. It's, it's, it's wild. Ubitul chametz. And you, and you also have to nullify the chametz. Right? So it's not enough to not own it and not, and not find it and not eat it and, and not be able to even have a crumb of it. Right? But you also... Even after doing all that, you have to declare all of your chametz is batel, is nullified. It's like the dust of the earth. And then you have to burn everything that you have left. You have to burn it. Why is chametz more stringent than every other prohibition in the Torah? No other prohibition has this. Even even the prohibitions in Shabbos are are in some ways more lenient than than this. There's much more gray area, right? This is very save, black and white. Life on Shabbat, right? Well, I mean, I assume you could save a life. I'm not sure how you do it, but you could save a life through chametz too. I would assume, but um, yeah, well, uh, somebody's there, and that's the only thing available, right? Um, right, but but anyway, but even with the prohibitions on Shabbos, there's some there's some uh, uh, disagreement or disagreement. Chametz is very black and white. If it is leaven, right, then you got to get rid of it. Right, and it's a good thing that uh, uh, that uh, uh, that uh, excuse me that. Uh, even though Jews aren't uh, aren't uh, the children of prophets, um, they uh, they uh, they get really into they expend a lot of energy before Passover in in preparing to destroy their chametz. Shalom atzinu ken b'shum mitzvah. We don't find this with any other mitzvah. All right, so that's the premise. The premise is why is chametz so stringent? That's the question, and we'll get into the answer. We're gonna get next an week. answer next week. <laughs>